0: We thought that one of the best gifts that we could give our pastors is teaching them what they've taught us. One thing that we understand is that if you want to become a master of knowledge, you got to get to the point where you can do what? Teach it. If you can teach it, that means that you can consume it. If you can consume it, that means you can apply it to your life. So at this moment, what's going to happen is, is we're going to teach you the seven or eight things that are the most important to us in 25 years that our, pa- our pastors have taught us. You're going to have a panel of us that have been here for 25 minutes and those that have been all the way through 25 years. But this is the one thread that goes all the way through. Can you say all the way through? It all is strung with love, hope, dominion, and Uh, and power. Well, pastor too. So if you're looking for some notes, if you're looking for a title today, I'm going to give it to you. So get your notepads ready or your smartphones, your dumb phones, your no phones, your your rocking tablet. The title for today is, My pastor has taught me, semicolon, and we're going to show you from many different perspectives what our pastors have shown us, not just in love, but in empowering the people, because that's the most important thing, amen? So at this time, those of you that are going to come and help me speak, can you guys come to the stage right now? Can we give them a hand right quick? Directions. (laughs)
1: Directions.
2: <laughs> Good morning, AWC. How y'all doing? Y'all got me messed up. I'm like Mr. Dutt, uh, Pastor Jermone. Good morning, AWC. I have the distinct privilege this morning of uh, beginning and uh, telling you all exactly what my pastors have taught me. Um, they have changed my life in such a dramatic fashion, and I again. Uh, I'm going to briefly go through in five little minutes, tell y'all a little bit of what uh, AWC, but most importantly, pastors Dr. Martin and Linnell Williams have done in in instilling uh, change in my life. Uh, The first uh, thing I've got for myself was my identity as a kingdom citizen. Uh, When you're in this world that is so uh, uh, working against you and trying to figure out exactly who you are, It was uh, such an impactful moment for me to find foundation here. I found foundation, and how I did that was through my identity as a kingdom citizen. When you don't know who you are, you don't know how to carry yourself and how to conduct yourself. And so I thank you for that. Um, I I started with Genesis, the first uh, chapter, 26 verse. I believe it to be the fundamental and uh, rudimentary basis of uh, kingdom ministry. And when you know what the original plan was you know how everything is going to be. You're, you're fighting a, a battle that's already been won. So foundation is so very key. Knowing the original plan helps you see God the right way. When you see God correctly, you are then able to see yourself correctly. He is a God that is rooting for me. This was very, very significant for me when I would think about God and, and not this uh, fire and brimstone God, but this God that was literally rooting for me. Jason, Jason. Chase, Chase, you got this. I believe in you. You got this. That was a very, very clear and different uh, ideology that I'd ever learned or seen before coming to AWC under the direction of my amazing pastors. Um, from there, uh, of all the images in this scripture, it says God said, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image. Of all the images he could have chosen, he chose his own which to me spoke volumes about the amount of love that he had for me. Um, from there, I, I now understand the original plan and purpose for my life that I was again made. I'm not some accident. I'm not, I, I saw a joke the other day and it said, uh, uh, my mom and dad, uh, they, they they got involved and then 40 years later, now I'm just waking up every day going to work. That's not the basis of your life. And so many people live their lives uh hopeless. Um, so this was able to do that for me. The second, uh, step in my process first, uh, in learning that I was made was, uh, who does God say I am? I had spent my whole life listening to other people tell me, Oh, well, you know, you look like this, so you must be, or, you know, you from here. So you must, you know, you can't, but do, but so when you grow your whole life, hearing these things, uh, you start to take on a personality that was never intended for you from the beginning. So here I was able, like a Rubik's Cube, to be unlocked and just torn apart. And and every ideology that I thought I understood was ripped apart from me. I was taken back to my core and back to, again, a foundation of who I was. And it changed me forever. Um. I learned that I was righteous. (laughs) What? I'm righteous? That if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is the son of God, I am righteous? Righteous is a legal term. It means in right standing. What? What? Me? Me? Hallelujah. So perspective shifted uh as pastor will say uh he said it's a it was a paradigm shift for me literally everything in my person everything about me shifted and thirdly I've realized that with all of this newfound information that I had a responsibility there was a responsibility to this inheritance that I now found myself privy to Um, John 1 12 says, but to many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the right, the authority, the privilege to become children of God. That is to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely upon his name. Again, there is an inheritance, but there's a responsibility with that inheritance. And when I learned that there was a responsibility, then I had to change. I can't keep doing stuff the same way I've been doing it. There there had to be some change in this thing. So lastly, I just want to say, pastors, I thank you tremendously for being obedient to the word of God and what God had placed on your lives and the calling that he placed on your life because you are amongst people who love you. And I mean they love you, pastors. They love you. You have changed their lives so they never can be the same. I thank God for you, and I thank you for this opportunity to speak to you. Thank you.
1: Good morning, AWC family. Um, first of all, I wanna thank our pastors that 25 years means that you've lived in a state that is cold, below 32 degrees, uh, four months out of the year. So you have now survived 100 months in cold Nebraska. And, and that makes you saints in every religion in my mind. So what my pastors have taught me is that there is life after death. And here were the major deaths of my life. The death of a 27-year-old daughter that never smoked and ran five miles a day to a one in a million cancer. The death of a 25-year thriving business because a one in a million cancer comes with a million dollar price tag. And I was her primary caregiver for 44 months. The death of a marriage because a terminally ill child rocks the foundation of every relationship. Every relationship. And mine was made worse by the fact that my husband of 25 years left me for Romeo and not Juliet. Yeah, just take a minute and think about that. Um, The last thing was not so much a death as it was a major transition in that my pastor, um, my mentor, my spiritual father of 10 years, Pastor Ray Mayhew, called me just days after Megan was buried and said, I'm moving to Dubai. I sobbed uncontrollably and I left church indefinitely. But one thing that had not died was my prophetic gifting, and five years later, after sitting home alone in a very dark place, um, God said, go there, and I wandered into the doors of AWC. So therefore, I echo again um, what Brother Jason has said. There is life after death, but finding life after death requires choosing life. Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. I had to choose to walk in the doors. And if your life is completely devastated today, you've come to the right place. Point number two, uh, finding life after death also requires embracing life. Embrace means to hold closely in one's arms, but it also means to accept or support a change enthusiastically. Now, I'm like really enthusiastic about Josh's leadership here, and we all are, but it was very hard to be enthusiastic about a life without my daughter. Megan used to say, change, I love change, change it back to the way it used to be. (laughs) But God wasn't giving me that option. Instead, he was saying in Joel 2.25, and I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. People understand this clearly. The locust eats what's above ground. The cankerworm eats what's below ground. And it is possible that your life is completely torn apart, and mine definitely was. But God said, I will restore. That responsibility responsibility also had assignments for me. Um, God planted a new thing in my life, but it needed to be watered. I needed higher education to excel in my field. A complete physical makeover by stylist Kim Schultz, because what God was doing on the inside needed to match on the outside. A complete rebuilding of my mind, of which I owe much to Vanessa Nkwacha and Denise Thomas, all leadership under Dr. Martin and Dr. Lin- Linnell Williams. I embrace being single. Like, seriously, I'm like, woohoo, I'm single. And I'm going to leave here today with my little monster dog, and we're going to get in the car with no responsibility, and um, I'm going to buy an overpriced iced tea at Starbucks and get him a puppuccino because and why because god saw my life was devastated and he's like girl hey just enjoy being you for a season most of all i enthusiastically embrace my calling which includes designing funeral programs and teaching internationally on legacy and funeral readiness I have ministered to countless who grieve, and when a call comes in now and says, Val, do you want to design a wedding program? My, in thought, my response is an enthusiastic, I prefer dead people. <laughs> okay, so my last thing and I'm, in one second. Finding life after death requires dreaming of a new life. The woman who thought she buried all of her dreams came to the dream keepers, Martin and Linnell Williams. No coincidence. I have corporate vision for those who grieve, but this has been such a safe world that I can say out loud um, that I can dream of being a New York Times bestseller. I can dream that my book will become a movie because the dream keepers keep the dreams of the people that are here. And if you haven't registered for the Dream Conference, go home and do so now. Um, I've been three times, just for the record. But last of all, um, several months ago, my son sent this picture of him halfway around the world, standing in front of a castle. And um, beautiful picture. And it was the realization that all of my dreams had not died. And as Ryan stood there in Switzerland, I was reminded that I named him Ryan, which means little, little king. And there was my little king. And I can still embrace the vision of God giving me of two twin girls that will be born to my son, that will have the sparkle of her, her, his sister's eyes in, in, the, in their eyes. And I can say it out loud because this is a safe place and the home of the dream keepers. Life after death, my pastors taught me, keep choosing, keep embracing. Most of all, have vision and keep dreaming. Thank you.
3: Hello, we are the Kirkmans. You hey, you guys can just sit. You guys can just stand right here. Just right here. Alrighty. Um, <laughs> we we just we just want to thank you uh, so much. You you are our pastors, but you are also are our, our parents too, and. Um, we just love you so much, and when you talk about, uh, we're so glad that you made the decision to be in Omaha, because because we needed you, and these kids. I mean, this this is a real fruit that that you can touch and talk to, and and love on. So. But then we have some stuff to we're going to teach too. So,
4: <laughs> okay. So uh, the invitation was to choose just one thing to uh, share that you've taught us, and we started coming here almost 19 years ago, and we were we're 42 now, so that's almost half of our life that you have been our our pastor. So we have really grown up. We've grown up here, um, and so it was. We had to think, what is the one thing that's really the essence of what they have taught us over all these years? Because there are so many things. And so, for us, the one thing that we chose to talk about is that you have taught us how to be unwavering. And so, if we can have our scriptures, the first scripture, um, it, it's uh, I always, Pastor Linnell, you have always been so persistent and consistent in winning me over. Me to God's table. Um, the first scripture says, faithful is he who is calling you to himself and utterly trustworthy, and he will also do it, fulfill his call by hallowing and keeping you. Um, so when we came here, one of the first, so every, um, there's a worldview and then there's a word view that you put, that you taught us, the word of God. So the worldview when we were in our early twenties was that. You, we, we wanted God in our life, and we wanted a family, and we wanted structure. But we thought you have to give up everything that's fun, like everything, everything that is you know that you've known to be fun so far. You have to give that up to be a Christian. And so now it's time to get serious and grow up. And but we came, we started coming, and um, we laughed at church more than we laughed other places. And we. Felt joy and we felt peace and, and there was this call, this scripture. Um, trustworthy and faithful is the one who is who is calling you. You are someone steadfast that we could follow your example. And then the next scripture. Um, okay, do you want to read one? No. Okay. So, <laughs> another. This is because the foolish thing that has its source in God is wiser than man. And the weak thing that springs from God is stronger than man, and um, that was another thing that you that you really put to flesh and put to life to us that um, if you have a, that all of us are created with with God sized holes, and addiction and other problems come when you try to fill a God hole with a human with a man thing. And so, if you if you fill yourself with God, then everything else is the abundance, the fullness of life. But first, we had to learn that. That it's God, that his smallest thing is bigger than our than our biggest, that his worst thing is better than our best. And we had to get that straight. We had to, to learn that and practice that. And and we learned that here. Then the next one. It seems like I'm talking a lot, but this I wanted a plan of who would say what. And and Matt said, I will respectfully interrupt when I want to say something. So that's that's what we're doing. That's how we roll. Okay. So The next scripture is uh, for God did not send the son into the world in order to judge, to reject, to condemn, to pass sentence on the world, but that the world might find salvation and be made safe and sound through him. John 3, 17. And this was another thing that from from the way we grew up, we grew up with some instability. And um, again, your consistency and your steadfastness and showing us this. Like, we, we never felt judged coming to church. Like, with, with all of our mistakes, everything that we came with, you've always loved us and accepted us um, the way that we were. And those words, uh, safe and sound. Like, you have created an environment that is safe and sound. We're safe to come and make mistakes and learn and grow. And our kids have always been safe to come and, and learn and grow.
3: Yeah, so much so that it's just, um, really passing along, uh, your faith and trust in God has really swept over on us too. Sorry, we're over time. Um, uh, has really swept over on us too, to where, uh, our level of trust has gone up, not only in God, but in other people, uh, and what's supposed to happen in, in the kingdom of God. And it's easy to, to just look at and see what you're seeing right now, um, but if you would've saw us 19 years ago, I mean, it, it's light years away from where we were before. Uh, I was, I had no, I had some plans for myself, but I had no no confidence in what, what I was supposed to do. I just, two years before, like really came out of a super dark, dark place. I mean, Christina basically took me out on a stretcher, you know, and when I was here, like, your guys' words just mended so many of those wounds, and uh, it's just awesome. So, I don't know if we should stop her. Okay, we keep so, going? yeah.
4: I just wanted to give, so the first thing was that you've been unwavering in your message, and then the second was that you've been unwavering in your faithfulness, and you've taught us how to do that, to live not by sight, but by faith, and that, that is key. And then the third was that you have taught us to be unwavering in our praise, and our scripture for that was in Psalms, but it really taught us, like, if you read Psalms, there's so much praise, and it's, David was on the the run, run for his life, and so the worldview is that when, you are, when you're having trouble, you know, if everything's falling apart, go ahead and fall apart, and pastor said, that no, that's not the time to fall apart. It's the time to praise. It's yeah. the time to remind yourself of who God is. Um, and so we have learned that, and it, it has transformed our lives and continues to. And we, we thank you a million times a million. We love you so much.
5: Mom and dad, what my pastors taught me was the power of no. When I met them, I was a broken woman. I loved God, but I was broken. And I wasn't aware of what God had placed inside of me. Number one, they said, you don't know how to say no. And I really didn't because I didn't find a whole lot about myself that I liked at that time. They would say, if you could only see what what we see, you have to give yourself permission to say no and be absolutely okay with it. I didn't want people to be uncomfortable, so I was willing to sacrifice myself and my discomfort for the good of others and not for what was best for me. To see others happy made me happy, even though there was a void that was left within myself. I knew who God was, but I didn't know who I was. Not really understanding that I was being used by the people and for their purpose. I believe what people said over what I felt in my heart, because when purpose unknown is unknown, abuse is, an unevi- is inevitable. Dr. Miles Monroe. I had to learn how to place guards in my life. They would say, Millie, know that no is not a bad word and that you may not know it right now, but will become comfortable with that word. It doesn't mean taking, it doesn't take anything away from who you are, but it has the ability to protect you. The scripture would often come to mind and I would ask God, who am I that you think of me? You desire to be with me, oh God. Well, why wouldn't a great God want to be with someone that he created great? I was reminded of this scripture. Genesis one26 through 28, God spoke in the Message Bible. Let us make human beings in our image and make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air and the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God bless them. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Number two, no Millie, you're not a statistic. Society would label you as a statistic, but you have the ability to overcome that. Everything you need in you, God has already placed inside of you. The basis of this is my having been a single unwed mother of two children on welfare who grew up without a father. I understood that my biological father was not in the picture. I could have been what society had stated, a statistic. Pastors would say, you are the sum total of the decisions you made. Hmm. I would not be what I... So God sent me a spiritual father and mother to impart and add to what my own mother had taught me. Through their teachings, I got off of welfare, purchased a home, and raised two amazingly gifted, anointed, and talented lovers of God, Kylan Crawford and Kiana Hepburn. I found out who I was. The Message Bible, as in Psalms 139, 13 through 16, it says, oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out, and formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life are prepared before I'd even live one day. The third thing I learned, no, Millie, you're not what you've been through. You can change the trajectory of your life, but it is a decision. There's a generational curse that has come down your family line, but you can change it by saying no to what has been and yes to the plan of God for your life. You see, Millie, you're much greater than what you see. You're somewhere in the future, and you look much better than you look right now. Hallelujah. So I was reminded of John, the fourth chapter, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And in this verse, specifically, 23 through 24, and it summed it up for me. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father's looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in worship. I had to pursue truth. I had to follow the man and woman with the water pot. Pastors Martin and Linnell Williams, thank you for the many, many years that you've taught me over these 30 years. Thank you for being relentless and confronting and challenging me to be the best authentic me I could be. And understanding the power of no. I love you.
6: What our pastors taught us is a successful leader must have and walk in integrity. Our first scripture is 1 Kings 9, 4 and 5.
7: Now, if you walk before me as your father David walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have com- commanded you, and if you keep my statutes, and my judgments, then I will establish the thrones of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father saying, yes, or you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel.
6: Second scripture is Job 27, five B and six. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I will hold fast and will not let it go. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live.
7: And the third scripture, Psalms
6: 7 and 8. Go ahead. 7, 8. The Lord shall judge the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to my integrity within me.
7: You know, when we were asked to pick one, it was almost impossible. I mean, truly. And so we had to go back. And, you know, this was such a key for us when we came to know Pastor Martin, Pastor Linnell Williams. Because integrity... First of all, it's not inherent. Uh, You know, growing up, we were taught about integrity, uh, about having it. But just because you're taught does not mean you will live it. Integrity does not come because of a title or a position. You know, and even if people uh, say they're Christians or have a ministry or Are ordained as pastors, that doesn't mean that they're going to follow through and have a life of integrity.
6: The second point is integrity has to be more than words. There have been many ministers and ministries that teach the word and have a good message. Many even talk and teach about integrity and righteousness, but the proof is in the actions not the words. Integrity has to be more than talk. It has to be lived and exemplified demonstrated to those around you and those you lead. Integrity should come forth in every situation good or bad, on the platform, before the world, and when you're alone, and especially by yourself.
7: And our third point is that Integrity is a cornerstone for success. Without integrity, an endeavor will not last. When integrity is solid, it opens the opportunity for others to trust. As trust is developed, then commitment has the opportunity to establish root. True commitment will cause a relationship to stand and flourish.
6: Out of the many things that our pastors taught us and demonstrated before us, being a leader that walks in integrity at all times was a game changer for us. Over 27 years ago, when we met our pastors, their example helped us recover from being a casualty of broken ministry where leadership's lack of integrity caused the demise of ministry. Our desire was to be able to serve and work under pastors who were true to their word, authentic and full of integrity.
7: Over these many years, we have witnessed the conduct of our pastors in all situations, both personally and in ministry. And we can testify before you that their walk is genuine and they are full to overflowing with integrity. God knew what he was doing when he sent you to Omaha, Nebraska. Thank you for being obedient. Because you changed our lives.
8: Okay, uh, good morning AWC, and good morning pastors. I stand representing myself and my beautiful, beautiful wife, who uh, has military orders, and so she had to, uh, she couldn't be here today. But what I'm about to share, we prepared together. Um, what my pastors have taught us is to not settle for mediocrity. Um, we, as a couple years ago, we were at Kingdom Living Church in Houston, Texas. We traveled over, heard our pastors were coming, and there was a moment where our pastors came and they, they prayed for us. Pastor Linnell, specifically, t- uh, she put her hand a, uh, on both of us, and she said two words. She just said, no mediocre. And that moment, it had created awareness that we had areas in our lives that we, had, we needed to raise our standard. Mediocrity means of only moderate quality, not very good. From watching our pastors, we've learned to avoid mediocrity uh, by doing three simple things. I'm going to talk about those now. First is avoiding mediocrity requires vision. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Um, in addition, Habakkuk 2 and 2 says, and we've heard the scripture before, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads with it. Uh, our pastors taught us that only 3% of the world set goals. And, there's 1%, and 1% only write those goals down that they set. Uh, number two, Avoiding mediocrity requires preparation. This is something we've all been recently privy to uh, through watching our pastors. Uh, in the preparation phase, there's three things that we want to determine. First is how, which we, we, which we get by instruction, knowledge, and wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 4, 25 and 26, I like this. It says, let your eyes look straight ahead and your eye looks right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. So when you look straight ahead, you're looking at the vision. But When you ponder the path of your feet, you're saying, does this step take me there? Does this step take me there? Does this step take me there? And so uh, we want to make sure we're walking in the right place. The next thing within preparation is you want to determine the where. And you simply ask yourself the question, am I with the right people in the right place to accomplish my goal and to lift my cause above the line of mediocrity? And then when? Um, when? So in First Samuel 30 and 8, um, the Malachites had just attacked Ziglag, They burned it to the ground they took women and they took children. David could have, in his emotional state, rushed off, but he took a moment to honor the Lord and he said, in in 38, he said, so David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered them, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Okay, okay. number three. got to keep going. Lastly, (laughs) Avoiding mediocrity requires execution. The way we execute, we do so in a spirit of faith. Hebrews 11 and 1, which we've heard from our pastor several times, says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. <laughs> okay? So, within faith, we have to do the work. And in Proverbs 10, 4 and 5 says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent. You mean it's not based on my salvation? It's not based... The hand of the diligent makes rich. And he who gathers it in the summer is, is, is a wise son, but he who sleeps in the harvest is a son who causes the same. So the harvest comes because at first I was diligent. So you can be diligent and pause right there and never reap your harvest. Okay, so in conclusion, let me get there. My wife reminded me that basically what we've learned in terms of living above medi- mediocrity boils down into pursuing your purpose and honing your gifts, which we've been. Constantly encouraged so in this house. Uh, secondly, our connection to our pastors is undoubtedly connected to many tangible blessings. I could point to you right now. I got a couple sitting right back there in the front of my children. My wife couldn't get pregnant, but we have a son here today Amen. and a daughter. Amen. Amen. Uh, lastly, we found that we found that we could assure we can avoid mediocrity by submitting to the right covering and the right and right Amen. leaders. We left here in 2011, we went to Georgia, the covering was still there. From Georgia, we went to Texas, the covering was still there, and now we're back in the house.
6: Thank you. you.
9: Good morning. We are Kylan and Rebecca Crawford, and um, like the Kirkpins were sharing, we have been very blessed that we We were kids when we met you. I mean, we've known you more than half of our lives. And the the one lesson that we were able to narrow down to, because, again, we struggle with the same thing of pick one, was you have taught us the power of me.
10: One of the first things we learned in, in understanding the power of me is the perspective that we have. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that all things... Work together for the good of those who love him and walk, who are called according to his purpose, who walk according to their purpose, excuse me. Um, It is important that we understand that perspective can change a lot of things in your life. And the first thing you need to understand about your perspective is that you can either have a problem or in my words, you can be a problem. And what I mean by beer a problem is not being reckless or having issues. What I'm talking about is being a problem for the devil, being a problem for, the sti- for statistics that are saying that, hey, uh, you're growing up in a single family home. That's my mom back there. And you can't have these types of things. You can't live at this level. You can't have a wife in marriage and have kids inside that marriage because statistically it's not in your genetic makeup. So you can be a problem or have a problem. I chose to be a problem because my perspective has been changed by these two people. You don't understand as a boy, as a a 12-year-old boy, right, who who y'all see y'all like, oh, kind of the youth pastor, kind of the drummer. No, I'm kai-kai to them. They know me all my life. And when, and when the rubber hits the road, they always taught me, kind you can change your perspective by how you see things. So growing up where they grew up, if they can see things differently, I can too, and I don't have to live by those statistics. The next thing is this, I can have an enemy or I can have a teacher. See, most people see, you see, your perspective is, is skewed, it's messed up sometimes because of how you are raised, the situation you were born in, social, economical statuses, whatever it may be, you, your stati- your, your st- your perspective can be just jacked up sometimes. And the problem we have is that we see things through our own perspective and we don't choose to change it. Mm-hmm. So when we see things that are enemies, it's not that you have an enemy. It's that you have an opportunity. You have, you have a teacher, someone there to teach you to grow, to change, someone to teach you to, to be better. It's the proving grounds for your greatness to come out. Mm-hmm. So you have to what? Be a, yeah, yeah. Be, be a teacher. Be a person that's going to learn. The next thing is this, is it isn't how I choose to see things. See, in the game of golf, in any kind of sport, there's a perspective you have to have. In golf, when you're on the putting green, if you don't squat down to see the terrain, to see how... Does that change that way? You have to change your perspective. Go sit down, son. That's, That's my other boy. You have to change your perspective, and it's important that you understand that.
9: Yes, the second thing we learn is the power of my words. Proverbs 18.21 says, words kill, words give life. They're either full of poison or fruit. You choose. My words are the result of my perspective and my thinking. I can change a situation by changing what I say about it. So that whole thing about... Um, Uh, I can have an enemy or I can have a teacher. I can choose to look that every man is a golden link in the chain of my good. I can make every person benefit me by the words that I say about them. One time, I don't remember where we were, but I said something stupid. I said something foolish. I I made a bad joke about Kylan. And I said something like, oh, were you looking at a girl? We were married. Were you looking at that girl? And pastor looked at me and said, why would you say that? Do you want that in your life? And I was like, no, I don't. He goes, you better stop saying goofy things like that. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm not saying that anymore. (laughs) And the evidence of what you say comes out of those two little people. So the other day I was taking Isaiah and Benny to school. And Benny said something negative about himself, like something he couldn't have or something he couldn't do. And Isaiah goes, Benny, is that what you want? Because you know you get what you say. So it's not just that I heard what you said. It's that I internalized what you said. And I inevitably, accidentally, and on purpose, taught what you said to another generation.
10: And the last thing is this. In Acts 13, 36 says, now then David has served God's purpose in his own generation. And then he fell asleep. The power of your purpose, of your individual gifts and talents is what the world needs. And that is what they've taught me. That, that, I'm telling you it has changed my
7: life. <laughs> <All right.
10: laughs> right, on, on, to sum it up when you if you ever want to know the things that we went through as kids and not having enough and not having hope, then you you think to yourself, how am I going to bring kids into this life and this world with the same perspective? I have to change what I'm seeing, and I have to understand that I have purpose. And if I can understand who I am, I can now reproduce the right kind of kids in this world. And I'm telling you, pastors, these boys are fire." They are the perfect yin and yang to each other, but they are fire, and it is because of my mom's obedience to come and follow you guys, and then our choice to do so as well. We love you so much.
0: How am I supposed to follow that? That was so good. I wish I had some kids that would just run up. And just kidding. Just kidding, kidding. Let the church say amen. Let the church say amen again. Y'all so Baptist. I love it. So one of the amazing things that the pastors have taught me is the power of resilience. Um, there are many different stories that if you're in relationship with people, that people see the smiles and they see all the gifts and people see all the balloons. And for some of you, it's your first time here. And you're probably wondering what in the world is going on here today. But I just want to make sure that you know that being the firstborn son, there are 26 years of witnessing all of the turmoil, the dark days, and the frustrating parts that are proven in resiliency. Resiliency isn't your ability to take a punch, it's your ability to take the punch, get back up, keep moving, and use that punch as fuel to get to the next level. So the biggest thing that I have about my parents um, is is their understanding of resilience. The spirit to leave the literal slave South, but not have the slave South mentality. When they came to Omaha, Nebraska, the idea and the vision and the mission that Pastor Martin had on a gravel road in Mississippi that he saw physically at the Olympics in Seoul, Korea, that he married a woman that would not just see him in that place, but would literally drag him kicking and screaming, even if he was afraid of it, to get there. But a man that loved his wife every single step of the way, covered her, protected her, and in some cases let her loose to wreak havoc on any demon in hell that came into their life. Outside of that conversation, they took an offer to come to Omaha just to have a meeting. Can you say a meeting? meeting. It wasn't supposed to be a flight to stay. It was supposed to be a meeting at the University of Nebraska at Omaha just to have a conversation about possibilities. But that conversation and possibilities ended up having them planted here when their hearts were broken for you that are in the seats today. Some of you have been here for 26. Some of you have been here for 26 years. Some of you have been here for 26 days. Some of you have been here for all of 26 minutes. This is your first service. But what happened 25 years ago is that their same yes then is the same seed that was planted in his speaking now. So here are my points because I don't know, I don't know how, to, how to follow these folks. You've taught me three things when it comes to ministry and three things when it comes to God's people. The first is that your reaction, Joshua, to situations and to the people speaks of your personal development. One thing that I know is that our pastors have so much ammunition of how they could rain on top of people that have hurt them that have cut them, that have backstabbed them, that have stolen from them, that have manipulated them, that have in certain situations have literally thrown them under the bus. But just like Jesus, they have decided to turn the other cheek and love them anyway. And I thank you for that. Number two, you see people through the lens God created for them, Joshua, not through your own negative experiences. You have taught me how to see people through the blood of Jesus and not the blood that they've caused me. You have taught all of us to love one another. Net groups is new to you, but our church actually started as a cell group church where people were healed in people's homes. People's marriages were brought back together in people's homes. People would do what they need to do the night before and then come to their cell group and figure out that they had just been given the ability to have life. But it all started in a little house that had no air conditioning, that had no heat, but had two individuals that decided to say yes. And you continue to say yes, regardless of how hard life hits you, and you never let us see it. That's resiliency. The third point that I have is that you've always taught us in resiliency to understand that everyone and everything is a work in progress. My dad says it all the time. If nothing is perfect, it still has some room to grow. One thing that you've taught me in resiliency is that it takes a resilient pair of parents to love me. And in everything that I've ever thrown at you, as much as my sins, as much as my mistakes may have taken wind out of your sails, you have still always protected me in private and glorified me in public. And today, that's just one of the small things that we want to do is glorify you in your 25 years of ministry, 25 years of pastoring, but 30 plus years of ministry. So if you want to take some points or some notes down, this is what you need to know about your pastors. Pastor Martin is just like Ezekiel. Pastor Martin, you speak life into dead situations and you demand them to rise up and have life. Pastor Linnell is just like David. You have faced enemies that were larger than life and defeated them your own way. And when Jesus set the table for you in front of your enemies, you ate with gladness and even shared with them. Pastor Martin, you were just like Moses. You have sacrificed your desires for an entire generation of people. And you stood between God and man, proclaiming the good news, telling them what God told them about themselves. You are both like Adam and Eve where you bore your soul even when it didn't feel right. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they're naked and they're ashamed, but they stood there without being ashamed. You have held mom's hand, and you have been consistently an amazing father and an amazing husband. Dad, mom, you are just like Peter. You have protected this church, our family, and many other families in this room that will never speak of it at any and all costs. Your hands are blood with righteousness for the demons that you have slayed in other people's lives that they couldn't on themselves. Your voice sings like the harp of, of David. When you sing, the chords that come out of your mouth set people free, they break shackles, and they run demons out of people's lives. You are truly a gift. Dad, you are just like Job. You trusted God even when the enemy, you trusted God even when the enemy threw everything at you. Took everything that you thought that you needed, but you still stood there maybe confused, stripped of all of your strength and even of all of your possessions. And you looked at God and you said, what else do you have for me to do? And the both of you are just like Jesus because you stayed the course, even knowing that your sacrifice would cost you your life, that it would cost you your dreams and it would cost you everything that you thought you wanted. Your purpose being fulfilled was the most important. Can you help me this morning by standing to your feet in an ovation as we celebrate our pastors for 25 amazing years of ministry. Come on, you could do better than that. Can we give our speakers a great hand today for their perspective? Come on. So you may take your seats. Remember what I said before, that this is the part of um, participation. Um, But first, before we move any further, um, look who's here. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know this, but Callie's going to be like a whole lawyer here in a little bit. So we just wanted to give her her time and her space to speak to her parents. So welcome to our living room.
11: Hi, everyone. I love being here, y'all, for real. I'm so thankful to be here. But it's not about me, and I just wanted to start... um, with telling my parents that I love you guys so much. And I wrote something so I wouldn't forget my thoughts. <laughs> um, um, okay, so being away from home has been the biggest blessing in this current season of my life. Um, you never really realize um, the apparent lifestyle that you're beyond fortunate to live when you're so deeply submerged in it. Um, in school, I, I've been surrounded by a plethora of different people, people who didn't grow up like me, people who don't believe like me, people who don't even have the foundation to even understand some of the things that I believe. It's its really amazing. Um, I'm surrounded by students swimming in debt all by themselves, no parents to help them through it, surrounded by students who are so deeply filled with anxiety and open depression, almost like it's a gift that someone gave to them and they want to show it off. (laughs) Um, But I, when I walk into my school or where I'm at with with people who aren't as spirit-filled or spirit-led, I legitimately feel like a light. I legitimately feel like people feel, not even me. It's not even, it's not me. I feel that people, see God's radiation beaming off of me and it's like well it can't just be me (laughs) like I it can't be it can't just be Callie and I know that without any doubt in my mind that the light was instilled in me through the intentional and endless guidance from my parents um In the current season of my life, I'm reminded every single day, and I mean every day, of the mindset, the skills, the love, and the selflessness that my parents have always possessed that caused us to live the blessed life that we live. Um, It's so amazing that I'm able to go to a school in an unknown territory, unknown land, completely daunting material, things I don't I can't even wrap my head around being taught by people who have argued in front of the Supreme Court, argued in front of just really, really dense content. But I can go in there and know that I'm covered by the Most High and that I'm also covered by the most fabulous parents walking this earth. It's freeing. It's so freeing that I can sit in in those places and just know that, like, whatever you guys are talking about, like, I serve a God. And I have parents, and I have a community that's bigger than all of this. <laughs> um, but more than that, I think another thing that instilled the light that I'm able just to show to other people, I, the, the community of Ambassadors Worship Center. I am so blessed That my parents not only obeyed the calling of being pastors, but have a a niche in building leaders. And that's all I grew up around were leaders, loving couples, loving grandmothers, families who didn't even have it all together themselves. But they took me and my brother every weekend, almost every day, some people, and just loved us. And I'm so thankful. I'm I'm just thankful that not only my parents, not only did they say yes to the people that they were called to, but they made sure that Josh and I had had people around us that loved us and cared for us and covered us and just loved us for who we were when we didn't always have our parents. And I don't like to cry, and it sounds so stupid. I'm saying important things that are covered up by my tears. <laughs> but it just, and I mean everyone, even the people who aren't here, and it doesn't really matter because the time you spent with us and the time you spent in this church just staying, people have fought to stay, and people have, you know gone on with things that they had to do in life, but I'm just so thankful for the people like Mother Alice, for the butlers, for my mama, for Miss Heather and Mr. Laurent. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to Miss June and Mr. Romano, that I could come in your house and be safe. That doesn't happen everywhere. I'm just so I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to Miss Diane Made. I'm so thankful. And I know it's because of my parents that I got to grow up around you guys. Like, you think that we're a blessing to you, but you guys have been such a blessing to me. Titi Millie, Kai Kai, even Kiana. I'm just the criers it's just things you can't pay for it's things you can't find good-hearted people who just love you for you i'm just so thankful